This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. All right, if you would turn to Matthew 23 and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come before Your throne of grace. Lord, looking to You uh, once again this evening, and praying for Your your aid, Your help. Again, asking for enablement. Lord, I ask that You enable me to speak, deliver the message You want delivered. I ask that You grant clarity and accuracy. And Father, I ask that You open all of our ears, all of our hearts, our spiritual ears to receive Your truth. For our good, for Your honor and glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> any, before I start, any, any questions from this morning? Okay. <clears throat> okay. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, going to do that from time to time because I just want to give opportunity. So, uh, if you got burning questions... Uh, <laughs> don't don't hold back, all right? All right. Okay, we're we're going to Lord willing uh moving into Matthew 23 tonight. So uh we're moving right along, right? Just a few few chapters left here. Uh I think I said a, a week about a week ago we we started this study in October of 2010. So uh yeah, we still got a little ways to go. We got a few pages there, but uh, amen. It's 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 a joy. Okay, Matthew 23. What I'm going to do is just read the first 12 verses, and um, we'll see how far we get here. Um, in in one sense, this this whole chapter um, it just uh, is hard to break up because <laughs> it all goes uh, all goes together. But um, we're going to try to do that, and again, we'll see how far we get tonight. <clears throat> Chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to His disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not. Do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but you 
Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you all, you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And by the way, for what we're considering here tonight, I, I think um, verses 11 and 12 are going, to be, are going to be key. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. In fact, I think uh, they, that, that those two verses play an important role in, in all of this that Jesus is saying. It, 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 it gives a clue into what it is he's speaking against. Uh, not that he's secretive about it, but I mean, there, there's just some insight uh, to what he's, what he's uh, coming against here, what he's confronting. Let's go back to the, the beginning here. Jesus spoke, then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to the disciples. So, again, this is following his confrontations with the religious leaders. Now, again, that's, that's going to be uh, key to remember as well. I'm, I'm not ruling out the other people. I always assume, uh, pretty much always assume that uh, even when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees or the Sadducees, chief priests, elders, whoever it is, that, that he's, there are other people gathered around, and that in one sense, while he's maybe addressing the Pharisees like we saw this morning, in another sense, he's, he's speaking to all unbelievers, all unbelieving Jews that are standing by. So, uh, want to remember that as well. And, and this is following those confrontations. So, I think like for tonight, if I were to just kind of uh, sum it up in a phrase, it will be this, and I'll try to ex- explain it as we go, which you'll probably see anyway, but that, the simple phrase is this, be real. Be real. I know that sounds a little flippant or whatever. It sounds almost like, you know, bumper sticker fra- phraseology there. But uh, actually, it's, 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 it, the concept is, is very important. Be real. Jesus spoke to the, multi, to the multitudes and to His disciples. So now, uh, He's speaking to all of the people here, the crowds, to His disciples, and again, probably, um, and, and there are no doubt Pharisees and other religious leaders standing by listening as well. Saying, verse 2, now this is what He's telling the people and His disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, he singles out here the scribes and the Pharisees, and there are going to be others as, as we go along that he, that he singles out. But the, the point is, he's, he's confronting them openly. We were just discussing this a little bit in our, uh, our class back here in the back. Um, I think there are times where we're even responsible to do that. Sometimes, um, depending on, on the particular issue you're dealing with, and, and of course, obviously there needs to be some serious discernment uh, at work here. But sometimes things have to be confronted openly, uh, especially with care in our case, because remember, Jesus knows the heart. <laughs> that's, that's a big advantage, okay, to us. We look at somebody and, and we, think, we think we know what they're up to, and we don't always know what they're up to. Our, our judgment is a little bit distorted 
uh, to say the least a lot of times. But there are some times when you have to, you have to, people have to be confronted to the face, so to speak. Um, the hypocrisy that, that Peter was living out, uh, in front of, uh, uh, new Gentile believers, Paul felt like was serious enough to be confronted. And so he says, I withstood him to the face. That's amazing, isn't it? It's the first pope that he's standing against. Well, okay, maybe not. But at any rate, a fellow apostle. <laughs> a fellow apostle. I mean, Peter was certainly an authoritative figure. He's, he, he's definitely a lead man in the, in the book of Acts. Um, and Paul said, I withstood him to the face. Well, um, here Jesus is, is withstanding the Pharisees to the face. Now, let me be clear, there's a difference in them and Peter. Peter was uh, a, a Christian who loved the Lord when Paul, when Paul rebuked him. Um, and that's, that's unfortunately not the case here with the, with the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, what, is, what does he mean? He goes on to say, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. They, they sit in Moses' seat. Now, this is an interesting statement. A couple of possibilities here. Um, some think that there, that may have been a, a designation in the synagogue. In other words, there was a, we would say a pew. You know, you got a, you got a specific seat, probably one of these, you know, kind of things up here on the platform, right? You got a specific seat. Um, where the teacher sits, Moses' seat. And they refer to that seat as Moses' seat. And so the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, a prominent seat in the synagogue. That does really fit well with the rest of what Jesus goes on to say because He talks about them taking the best seats in the synagogues and, and, uh, and loving the, the best places at feasts and so forth. But in all honesty, I've, I've always taken it to, to be uh, a reference to what they represent. In other words, they, they, in a sense, because they teach the law, stand as representatives of Moses. They sit in Moses' seat. The word seat there, and it does just mean chair, it's the word from which we get our word cathedral, if you've ever wondered where that term comes from, the, the cathedral in, in uh, like, say, in the Anglican Church or uh, Roman Catholic Church, is where the bishop resides. It's the bishop's seat, cathedral. So, so they call it a, a cathedral. Chair. He's, they sit in Moses' chair. That is, they are the they are the recognized teachers interpreters of the law. Now, this to me is interesting on, on several levels. Now, let me say this first. I, in years past, church we were uh, involved with years ago, uh, not long after being saved, um, best, to the best of my recollection, this was always interpreted as a negative and so, uh, you know, if you wanted to warn somebody against judging, you know, Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. Our old pastor would use it in this way. Like if, if he was telling you to be careful about judging someone else, he would say, watch out. You're sitting in Moses' seat. 
and like I say, to the best of my recollection, that it was that's simply how it was interpreted, and with a negative connotation. Meaning, if that interpretation is correct, then what Jesus is he's saying something derogatory about the Pharisees. He's saying they're judgmental. Well, they are judgmental. I'm not going to argue against that. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And and this is one reason I, I find this really really interesting. I think he's simply saying they are the acknowledged teachers of the law. This is what he means by they sit in Moses' seat. Now, what's so interesting about that? Well, because there's no prescription for this from the Scripture. Where did the Pharisees come from? There's no place you can go to in the Old Testament where God ordains, you know, Pharisees and says, these will be the teachers of the law. Or rabbis, which is a fairly new concept at, at this point uh, in history, in Jesus' time. It goes on to become much more prominent later, you know, after, especially after the destruction of Jerusalem. And up, up until this very day, what we have is in the Jewish uh, religion is rabbis, right? You don't, there's no Pharisees or Sadducees, uh, no temple priest, the temple's gone. But I, I, I don't think Jesus is using the position itself uh, or, or just meaning that, that it is necessarily negative, derogatory. He's just simply saying that's who they are. That's, that's what they do. That's their, that's their function. That's their, that's their service. They are the acknowledged teachers of Moses. And again, I find that interesting because there's no prescription for that in the Old Testament. And yet, it seems to me that Jesus honors it. Just like we're told it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, there again, there's no prescription for that in the Old Covenant, under the law. That was born out of necessity, so to speak, and during the years of captivity in the Babylonian Empire. Because they, they could not go to the temple and worship in Jerusalem where they're commanded to worship. And so they established synagogues. That's basically where uh, what we call church today, and I'm not talking about church as the body of Christ, but when we talk about having church, that's, that's basically where that concept comes from. Um, we've been, sort of inherited that from Judaism. They established synagogues in the different um, nations that they were in. And on the Sabbath, they would gather to hear a teacher expound, read and expound the law. And Jesus honored that, even though there was no Old Testament prescription for it. You, you don't have any record of a direct, uh, you know, God-ordaining synagogue worship. But it was the norm in Jesus' day, and He honors that. Now, I don't, I don't know about to you, but to me, that, that, that's, that was, that's a, uh, a, a, an important point. Years ago, uh, I, I could say a lot more about it, I won't, but years ago, uh, Leslie and I really wrestled with this, and this whole thing about having church the way we have it now, where did it come from? It's not in the New Testament. And one of the things 
that brought me around on this issue, and one of the reasons I'm standing here today is passages like that, where I saw Jesus honoring the custom of the time. So is there a law today that says, Christian, you must be at church on Sunday between 11 and 12 and 6 and 7 and Wednesday night from Sunday? No, there's no law. There wasn't a law for Jesus to be in the synagogue either, but it was His custom to be there. Uh, So we might do well to follow His example, right? (laughs) Okay, that's uh, that's a side note, but there's no charge for that. Verse 3, so they sit in Moses' seat. That is, they are teachers of the law. Simply what he means by that, I think. He's not, he's, that itself is not good or bad. In fact, like I said, he's, he's honoring that. They are teachers of the law. They sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, and here's part of the evidence, I think, of him honoring that. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say, and do not. That last, that last uh, phrase there is, you know, he's, he's drawing a contrast between uh, confession, you know, what you say, and what you do, works. They say, but they don't do. But much of their saying, much of their saying, is correct. So, he says, do what they say. Now, listen closely. Some of you will recognize this term word for word. <laughs> do as I say and not as I do. Where have you heard that before? Some of, some of you probably heard that before. <laughs> Maybe you said that before if you're a parent, right? You know, your, your child says, why do you do that? You tell me not to do that. Why do you do that? And you, you don't have a good answer. So, you say... Do as I say and not as I do. (laughs) Just do what I tell you to and don't worry about what I do. Right? Well, that's, that's the way they lived. Why? Uh, well, real quickly, just so we'll have this in mind. You look at verse 13. What does Jesus call them? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrites. The, the, the word there means pretenders. They're, they're pretenders. They say, but they don't do. Because they're, they're not really what they are. They're, they're pretending to be something that they're not. That's why Isaiah says, or the Lord says through Isaiah, we may come back to this one uh, if we have time, but in Isaiah 29, in case we don't, Isaiah 29:13. With their lips they draw near me, the Lord said, but their heart is far from me. Well, why draw near to God with the lips? Why do the sacrifices? You read Isaiah 1. And God talks about how the sacrifices are a stench. He's offended by them. They're a stench in His nostrils. Why, why do the sacrifices? Why... Why profess God? Well, because they're pretending. And people do love religion, don't they? I mean, look, look around the world. I, I know we live in a society that 
it's really kind of confusing. I confess, I try to, I try to watch this. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I try to observe this because it's interesting to me. But uh, at the same time, it's, it's a little confusing. We, in fact, let me just put it in question form, and you'll kind of see what I mean. Uh, I mean, you don't have to shout out an answer, but just think, think about it for a second. Would you say that our country is becoming more and more secular? And by that, I mean non-religious. You think so? Well, see, a lot of times we're, we're and that may be true. I say to, I'm still a little confused about it. I'm still watching, but um, that, that it may be correct to say that. It may not be correct to say that. And as, as a matter of fact, some secularists who have really hoped we were going that direction are really getting frustrated because, in their observation, they're finding that we're not going. That direction. If if you if you believe polls, you know you'll find that uh, I've heard one just the other day, but I can't remember the percentage. But I mean, it is a huge majority of the populations that that believes there is a God, and the numbers are huge. People that say they pray are that they are, um, in their mind, spiritual. Now hold on a minute. And you say, well, that doesn't mean they're Christian. Exactly right. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being religious. We're by nature a religious people. God's created us that way. So people love religion. Now, they don't like Christianity, that's true. When you talk about biblical Christianity, if we were just talking about that, then yes, I would say our culture seems to be moving more and more away from that. But I don't think they're necessarily, that, that we as a culture are necessarily becoming. Uh, more secular. Maybe we are. I mean, time will tell. But it doesn't seem like... You look at Europe and how, how rapidly, really, it's become secularized. And uh, that's why there was great hope among many secularists that we would follow suit. But it just doesn't seem like it's happening. Uh, the people over here um, talk a lot about being spiritual, even though I don't have a clue what it means most of the time in, in the truest sense. So, so people like, I mean, we, I, I could show you some big churches around town that uh, don't believe much of anything regarding the truth. And, and I'm not, you know, here's a case where I think you can, I'm, I'm not being overly critical, I'm talking about like Unitarian Universalists, for example. They don't believe in the gospel. They don't believe that Jesus is the only way. They don't believe that He's the Son of God, like we talked about this morning. And yet, they come together and they have... Church. Why? Well, people like to be religious. So, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees are pretenders. So, Jesus said they're, they're teaching the law. Do what they say. But don't do what they do because they're pretenders. They're saying one thing, they're doing another. Now, what about doing what they say? Let me, let me, let me try to make, make this clear as well. I, I'm, because I'm convinced Jesus doesn't mean do everything they say. Uh, we, we have seen, as we've gone through Matthew, we have seen Jesus confront them. I mean, sometimes they were confronting Him, but, but uh, in return, He would issue a rebuke that would, would hit you know, like a bullseye. Uh, their man-made religion. So, for example, when they 
when they came to him in Matthew 15, remember that? In Matthew, in fact, this is where he quotes Isaiah 29. But when they came to him in Matthew 15, and they were just uh, horrified that um, they were eating without washing their hands, Jesus' disciples were eating without washing their hands. Um, Jesus pointed out their own hypocrisy, their own, uh, and and rebuked them for their man-made religion. In chapter 15, verse 2, they ask, "Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders?" Note that the tradition of the elders. They're not. They're not talking about a scriptural mandate here. They're not talking about mosaic law handed down from God, mediated by angels. They're, they're talking about tradition handed down from forefathers. Man-made tradition. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And they were talking about a ceremonial thing. Not, not, uh, I don't think they had any concept of microorganisms and, you know, they didn't have antibacterial soap and stuff like that. They're, they're, what they're talking about is something ceremonial. And Jesus answered, he wasn't, by the way, he wasn't concerned about them not washing their hands. He answered and said in verse 3, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God, which, by the way, is far more important than the tradition of the elders. And you see, that's what he's doing. He's rebuking them for their man-made religion. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? There again, he's issuing another indictment because not only do they keep these man-made rules or, well, I better rephrase that because we're going to see in Matthew 23 they don't keep them. Not only do they um, demand compliance with these man-made rules, and primarily they demand it from other people, but not only do they demand that kind of compliance with these man-made rules, traditions of the elders, but they even give those things precedence over the Scripture, over God's command. Now, certainly... Jesus is not saying in Matthew 23, do what they say when it comes to that, right? I mean, if they're telling you to transgress the commandment of God in order to keep tradition handed down from the elders, He's not saying do that. So we can assume what He means here is, insofar as they are faithful to Mosaic law, what they teach you regarding Mosaic law, Do it. Here's the tricky part. Even though they don't do it. Now, I think there's, a, it, there's an interesting application there because sometimes um, <clears throat> sometimes we may tend to back off from something somebody says even though it's in line with the Scripture, because we're troubled by their conduct. You know, there was a, around the Reformation time, there was a dispute over whether or not baptisms that were conducted by unregenerate priests should be considered as valid baptisms. You got a lost person baptizing somebody, or, or a lost person preaching the gospel to somebody, or a lost person uh, administering the Lord's Supper to somebody. What do you do about that? Do you say it's all void and null? And the reformers said no. 
interesting, isn't it? No. Because the thing itself is what God commanded. And if it's done in faith by the, you know, by the one receiving the Lord's Supper or the one who's being baptized or whichever, if, it, if, if that person is doing it in faith, then he's saying then they're, they're doing what God requires, you know. And God honors that. And I've had people ask, you know, well, can I, or they'll say, you know, they heard the scenario where somebody was saved under a preacher that, you know, and later this preacher got saved, you know. Well, does that mean their salvation wasn't? <laughs> no, no, it's good, it's good. I mean, the Lord, the Lord is able to do that in spite of us. So, do what they say insofar as it's consistent with the Word of God. I think that's his point there. He's saying, don't reject, because here he is confronting them, right? And he's, he's done this time and time again. He's shown their hypocrisy. And yet, he's warning the people, even the disciples here, he's warning them, don't just reject their teaching out of hand because of who they are. Do what they say. And by the way, if, if we were going to just operate according to that rule, we might not listen to anybody before long, because I, you, you're going to find fault. And anybody, if you look at them long enough, except Jesus. And most people, it don't take very long anyway. Other people, of course. Well, no. No, no. No, you definitely, if you look, if you look at me, you definitely see fault. So he says, do what they say. Because they're representing Moses. They're, they're giving you... God's Word. <laughs> but don't do what they do. Don't do what they do because they're pretenders. While they sit in Moses' seat, pretending to be authorities on these things, pretending, and I think this is the key issue in terms of calling them hypocrites, pretending to be observers themselves. In reality, they're not. They're not. They're, they're not humble observers. They're haughty oppressors. Verse 4, look, he begins to give some things. Some examples here. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They burden people down with their man-made traditions and with their criticisms. And, they, and they're full of all kinds of commands for other people. You know, you do this, you do this, you do this. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But they themselves... They say, but they don't do. I remember. <laughs> hesitate to mention this, but I'm not mentioning any particular. It, it was. It was. A, it was a uh, an Anglican body um, that a couple friends of mine were involved with, and I remember one of them saying to the other, he had come out of it, and he was telling the other guy. 
you know, I don't remember the particular issues, but you know, the, the, the canon law, you know, the church law. He said, that's not for the bishops, man. That's for you. <laughs> that's for you. That's what Jesus is saying. They say, but they don't do. So they burden other people down when they themselves won't even, won't even move a, a finger to lift something. And by the way, contrast that to what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, right? All you that labor and are heavy laden. It's just the opposite, isn't it? Jesus says, you know, you're weary, you're heavy laden, you need rest for your soul. Come to me. Come to me. And He doesn't tell us to uh, shoulder burdens except for His yoke, which He says is easy. He doesn't tell us to earn salvation, to earn favor. He says, I'll do that. I'll do that part. He, He doesn't just lift a finger. He put all of Himself into it. He says, I'll do that part. You just come. You just come and rest. Verse 5, But all their works they do to be seen by men. Now, there's some insight into their, their motive. They're pretenders. And it's all about being seen. It's all about being highly esteemed. It's all about power. And praise. Not, not praise for God, but they want praise for themselves. All their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. The phylacteries are the little boxes that they would wear with, with Scripture in them. They wear them on their forehead and, and on their arm. And uh, Jesus said um, they want to make sure that you notice that they had them. Right? They make their phylacteries broad, larger than necessary. <laughs> they had a big fish on the back of their car. <laughs> More like a whale, okay? Make you make sure you see that thing and know. And uh, this, well, this is a pretty good sized sword. I mean, you get get a big Bible and put it up on your dashboard. You know, make sure everybody sees that thing. Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> and they enlarge the borders of their garments, or some. Uh, Translation will say tassels. They were supposed to have... The, the law actually prescribed that they have this thread, as I understand it, on the, uh, the, the hem of their garment that was a, re, a reminder to them, uh, served as a reminder to them of God's mercy on them. But, and, and, they, and, and they had turned that into large tassels that uh, they would wear. So, so I mean, they're, 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 they're dressing in a way to be noticed. Um, and not just not just standing out in the crowd, but I mean noticed in the sense of thinking, okay, these men are pious. These are holy men. These are dedicated men. He's got a jacket and a tie. He's dedicated. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogue. They take the, the, the places of prominence. This is, this is one of the few things, by the way, that may have reversed in time. No, nobody sits in the, in the best seats anymore. <laughs> I've always, you know, I mean, it's just always kind of caught my attention. 
Maybe maybe it's just the better seats are, are further back now. I don't know, but the, the more prominent seats, okay. But you know they they wanted to sit in the in the place of honor. Want to be on the stage. Why? Because they they want to be seen by men. They want to be praised. They want to be highly esteemed by men. They like greetings. Verse 7, they like greetings in the marketplaces. They like to be recognized, that is, and and pointed out and called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi, that is, teacher, teacher. They they like to hear that ringing in their ears, you know, um, to be known as teacher. But you do not be called Rabbi. I can I know he's speaking to the multitudes and his disciples here, but you almost almost you know visualize him visualize him at that point just kind of focusing in on the twelve and saying, But you don't be called rabbi. One is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. 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 I remember uh, and, and by the way, it goes for cistern too. You're all cistern. I remember hearing Lester Roloff years ago. I've thought about this many times over the years. Uh, just saying, you know, don't, don't call me reverend. Call, call, he said, call me brother. He said, brother, brother's such a sweet. Term, brother, sister, and I know that can I know that can be used as a, as a title as well. But um, then again, you know, I, I, I think sometimes it's it, it we tend to we, we don't just tend to do that with a certain class or whatever. We we usually pretty much call everybody brother or sister. And like I say, I think it's a sweet reminder. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so Jesus, and you know, he's not telling them you got to say that, but he's just saying you got to know that. Don't be called rabbi. Don't be called teacher. Don't or do not. Verse nine. Call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers. Verse ten. One is your teacher, the Christ. Verse eight. You are all brethren. Brothers and sisters. I mean, he's emphasizing that. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, now he's sitting at the heart of the motive behind all of this. In other words, why why is it better to realize that we're that there's there's an equality among us? We're all brothers and sisters, rather than to desire to be called rabbi or teacher or master. Because again, that that like sort of like we were talking about this morning about the word Lord, that implies a superiority. It implies a different class. And I wish I could say, you know, that the the Protestant churches, the Baptist um, brethren and sisters hadn't been guilty of that over the years, but we've been guilty of it. We've been guilty of making a line of distinction between, quote, you know, ministry, 
and laity and so forth. Just making classes of Christians. Others have done it too. You know, we used to be in a group that claimed to shun all of that, right? But then, but then we made a distinction between spirit-filled Christians versus the others. I don't know, whatever, whatever. The, the not spirit-filled, okay? And we made a point of referring to ourselves as spirit-filled. No, Jesus says you're all you're all brothers. You, you don't need that kind of superiority. You don't need that kind of uh, power madness like the, the Pharisees have here. Their, their whole thing is about being esteemed, being exalted. It's all about power, control. Jesus says, look, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humble. And by the way, I, I I think that's a warning. It's not, not he's he's not just saying, you know, this is the inevitable consequence. But I, but I think that's a warning. Whoever exalts himself will be humble. Psalm 34, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In James 4, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he who exalts himself will be put down. He who humbles himself will be lifted up. You want to be lifted up. Hopefully, we, we want to be lifted up the right way. Not the phony way, right? We don't want to be pretenders and, and concentrate on putting ourselves on a pedestal and building some kind of phony reputation and getting esteem from men. And in all of our efforts to do that, sacrifice favor with God. The greatest among you shall be your servant. You're just brothers and sisters. So the bottom line, be real. He's saying, don't, yes, yes, do what they say. Insofar, insofar as they accurately represent the Word of God, accurately interpret the Word of God, then by all means do what they say. But don't do what they do. Be real. Be real. Brothers, if y'all come and prepare uh, for us to receive the Lord's Supper, uh, then we'll have a word of prayer. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.